I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. Uh, so I am so excited to have Dr. Sean Anderson here with me. He is an award-winning associate professor of organizational communication and advisor for the Institute of Business, Business Ethics and Sustainability at Loyola Marymount University. He is an internationally recognized scholar that examines how sport has influenced business, politics, and society. He's also the founder of CSR, Global Consulting, LLC, which assists organizations in developing and implementing their social responsibility initiatives. His first book, The Black Athlete Revolt, the, sports ju- the Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter, examines the revitalization of athlete activism since the BLM movement began. Further, it explores how athletes have shifted their activism from protest to conversations on policy reform. He's currently working on his second book, Sport for the Global Good, Towards a Theory of Social Responsibility, anticipated publication in 2024, so we've got to wait for that. Um, which will provide a blueprint on how sports organizations develop, implement, and evaluate the success of their social responsibility initiatives. His work on sport and social responsibility has been published in top academic journals, including the Psychology of Popular Culture, Communication and Sport, and the International Journal of Communication and Sport. His expertise has also been featured in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, HuffPost, and Black Enterprise Magazine. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for joining. It is such a pleasure to uh, have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm so excited to interview you. Um, we were talking before the recording started. I, I haven't really had anyone talking about this topic um, on mm-hmm. the podcast, and it's so um, salient and, and and current and important. And um, I think such a perhaps an aspect of uh, of anti-racism and anti-oppression work that is getting more recognition, but has a long history as you are uh, have discussed in your book. So I would just kind of love to hear from you a little bit about you, how you got started specifically in this work, and um, we can start there. Yeah, so um, I am, of course, currently living in Los Angeles, but I'm not a uh, native Los Angelian. I'm from the South, Arkansas in particular. So uh, in the South, uh, football is the sport to play. If you are uh, a larger male who wants to, you know, stay friends with your homies coming up in high school and all of that. So I had an early start in sports, um, but a knee injury derailed that in high school, but I still had an interest in sport. Um, But my first goal beyond playing the game was to actually become a sports broadcaster. And so I worked, uh, uh, went through undergrad, you know, got my master's degree, and I worked in the field for a little bit as um, a sports producer, working for local television stations here and there, a beat writer in my home state of Arkansas. Um, But as I was doing that work, 
I fell in love with the research components as well. And so I wanted to kind of take that angle of looking at sport, but from that human interest perspective, right? So how can we see sport as this platform that's changing society in many ways beyond being an entertainment uh, outlet, but how can we see sport um, in the larger conversations on um, social injustice, you know, um, racial reconciliation, uh, things of that nature. And, 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 you know, and those are sort of the, the stalwart topics, right? But now we're seeing sport um, in the conversations on mental health, mm. um, you know, environmental sustainability, uh, community development. And so uh, for me, as I worked over the years and then eventually um, earned my PhD back in 2016, all of those interests of sport, business, society, politics, and media sort of meshed. And uh, since graduating from 2016, uh, that work has been focused in those areas. I, I love how you, I, you know, brought in other stuff such as mental health. I mean, that's become, I think the last couple of years in particular, so much has come out about that. So you're right. I mean, of course you're right, but I'm just hearing what you're saying that it, it isn't, it's, it's social justice and so much more. Um, right. So what's, what is, I guess, what are some things that you want people to know about the history of, of sport in terms of social movements? Yeah. Uh, and and kind of I don't know ways to think about it today or or um, ways to reframe how people might think of sport in in terms of being a, a social platform. Sure. So you know I I take the title the the, the black athlete revolt the, the black athlete revolt the sport justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter. Uh, I, I take that title um, to the nose in the sense of saying that. The first part of that title um, is sort of a reconfiguration of a book that came out back in 1969 called The Revolt of the Black Athlete. And that was by Dr. Harry Edwards, who is considered uh, essentially the, the father of sports sociology. Um, and he was one of the chief architects who um, helped engineer the 1968 Olympic protests where we got the, you know, now world famous Black Power Fist, um, which is, you know, again, so, so recognizable. And so it was in many ways paying an homage to uh, the work that he and others did in the height of the civil rights era, while also introducing this new era called the sport justice movement, where, you know, it's this revitalization of athlete activism over the last decade, essentially. Now, uh, 2013 was when the hashtag Black Lives Matter was first introduced. Wow. So, you know, right, we're, <laughs> it's 10 years later, um, somewhere there about. And so with this work, it's not only taking a historical look at what sport and politics were all about during the civil rights era, but we, I take a look at how sport and politics was there even before that time. You know, we're talking about um, it was as early as 10 years after the Civil War 
when black jockeys were first introduced through the Kentucky Derby and they were building a socioeconomic platform for themselves and their families. But once the Jim Crow era hit after the Plessy versus Ferguson case in 1896, they were essentially removed from the game altogether. And, and, and not many people even know that there was a history of them in this sport where they were earning, at that point, what is the equivalency of the millionaire athletes today. And so um, then, you know, we go all through the civil rights era. And then now we get to this point again where for a time, athlete activism was dormant, but now high profile athletes from across sports and not just male athletes. You know, we were talking about the WNBA having a huge, huge movement in and of itself um, as we go forward. And so it's, it's taking a broad look into where we are, how we shift the conversation now to getting policy reform and where should we should go next. Do you think, I mean, I feel like probably, I don't know, who do you think kind of reactivated it? You think it was Colin who reactivated it or? Um... I think he got the most uh, praise and vitriol, uh, if, if you want to look at it yeah. from those lenses, right? Um, I think, you know, we had situations like um, the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the, in the Trayvon Martin case. And then so we saw athletes putting on the hoodies, um, you know, that was going around that kind of sparked a, a, a social media, uh, like a statement with that. Um, then we had the uh, then St. Louis Rams players, um, you know, protest with the hands up, don't shoot. So that was something that yeah. that that made national attention. But I, I I would have to say that with uh, the Colin Kaepernick uh, controversy, as people like to call it, I think what made his platform the most recognizable is because he took his stance against what most nationalists, you know, uh, have this belief in that this country is great, that this country doesn't have problems. And for anybody who has problems in this country, this is particularly those from marginalized backgrounds, it's your fault. Yeah. You need to be better. You need to obey the police and obey the law and all of that. So when he did that and then the, the whole military and all of them got involved with this uh, conversation, I think he was sort of the, 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 the catalyst to that revitalization. That makes sense. So he kind of he brought in the he brought in the like U.S. identity, like the American yes. identity. But yeah, that that's a really good point. Um, how do you how do you answer people who say like athletes should just be athletes? What's 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 the way you respond? Because there's a lot of people who say that kind of stuff, which is yeah, you, yeah, you hear the, the shut up and dribble, uh, stick to sports. You know, the thing is. Again, I, I believe that most people believe that athlete activism, um, sport and politics, which I, I call this like in many ways an unholy matrimony because there's love and hate <laughs> on, on all sides of this, but it's not recent. 
you know, that, that we have. We have athletes, again, 150, 160 years ago, um, having to become involved in politics because, you know, they were essentially having their careers taken away from them. And so it's, it's not that they even wanted to protest or, or wanted to engage in those type of things, but you essentially had to for the sake of your, your life and your family. And so for anybody who wants to say that, you know, oh, just shut up and dribble, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, it's here to stay because yeah. these athletes, um, they're not just bodies of entertainment. You know, they are intelligent. They are um, stepping back and trying to become knowledgeable of, of, of their past and what they can do for the present and the future. And so sport and politics will not go away. That, that's not going to happen. So we can, we can nip that in the bud right now. Yeah. Um, but that what, that's what I would say to those people who, you know, try to tear it down. Yeah. I remember like growing up, always seeing athletes doing kind of like their own foundation, you know, like there'd yeah. be athletes doing like a basketball camp for kids or, you know, those kinds of things. So I feel like I'm seeing, I'm remembering that like, there's always been an activism yeah. element. It's just maybe been focused in a different way. Like when yeah. you were saying it kind of got reactivated um, and there's been so much good that's, you know, that, that athletes have brought into the world on a, on a micro level or a macroscopic level. Where do you, where do you see the future of it going? How, like, where do you, and like what comes next, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, I, I um, first of all, I, I, say that we're moving in the sport justice era because it's again recognizing sport um as this platform for um social change and i say that to say that we think about the united nations um what we've known about it since its creation um the united nations put out a sustainable development goals initiative to where they want to eradicate the world's problems or many of them by 2030 and a few years ago, they recognized sport as one of those agents to do that. Mm -hmm. So to try to work on eradicating human rights issues, poverty, inadequacies in education, um, DEI. And so where I see it going into the future is now not only athletes um, speaking out about these social causes but now the the leads the found the foundations the federations um that govern these uh sport entities are now joining the conversation on what can we do to use our platform to solve the world's greatest challenges now they won't be solved tomorrow but at least we've moved into the direction of you have the, the IOC, right? Uh, mm -hmm. um, they're being held accountable and they have to now focus on human rights, you know, globally. Whenever they, as some people would say, invade a city, you know, it's it, the city is usually destroyed after that. You know, think about Rio and, and the, the issues that happened there uh, with uh, dilapidated buildings and the increased amount of homelessness that happened in that, that community organizations are being held accountable. And so the sport justice movement is shaping 
conversations on, again, policy change and policy reform. And that's what I see going forward. Yeah. How do you, how do you, uh, like, or do, does your work address also kind of like the, the way that athletes themselves <clears throat> are kind of not, not often seen in their full humanity. They're seen as like yeah. bodies who like shut up and dribble, but also like, yeah. because that's what you're here for kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like thinking about like Damar Hamlin and, and like just the way that the NFL, for example, treats players. Right. How does that tie into sport justice? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, let's even take it back to Colin Kaepernick when, when, when he took the knee and, and, you know, basically became a martyr and was blackballed out of the league, you know, he built a massive campaign that probably a lot of people didn't even know about, you know, of course you heard of the Nike commercials and mm -hmm. he has a documentary coming up, but he built a platform called the Know Your Rights campaign where he essentially went, you know, all around the nation um, talking to youth and young adults about knowing their rights if they're in a situation with law enforcement. Mm. Um, he put up uh, every organization that he donated funds to. Um, when he declared that he was going to donate so many millions of dollars, he talked about that um, in detail. It was listed out, you know. Um, and so it wasn't just, again, this athlete who is conscious it was this athlete who was um you know going out and being about that action when it comes to social initiatives you know but a lot of people didn't talk about that because they wanted to focus on you know oh he's disrespecting this that and the fourth right and so um you know it's again we, we have uh, other athletes like warwick dunn who was a former tampa bay buccaneers running back who for years has been helping to provide housing for single families uh, through his foundation. Um, people from low income communities who were, you know, trying to live the supposed American dream and, and own property. You know, he's been doing that. Um, you have other athletes out here who are um, visiting civil rights museums, trying to gain the history, trying to understand, you know, who they are um, and what they can do you know, it's 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 so many stories that are out there, but for those detractors who don't want to see these athletes be conscious, you know, the focus is you're tearing apart America with your protesting, you know. So I I think as long as we can begin to show those human interest stories with these athletes, you know, we, we'll be able to see, um, you know, how powerful the movement is. Yeah. Um, do you, do you see, um, how has your work been received in academia? Like, cause yeah. I, you, you're, you're, I don't know a lot about your area of expertise. Sure. You can maybe yeah. share a little bit about what that is and, and, and how, how you've brought that, brought this work into academia. Cause yeah. So, um, so again, I, I graduated with my PhD in 2016. Um, and what's funny is um, I was in an accelerated PhD program. So typically 
Uh, it takes four, five, sometimes for some people, six to seven years to complete a doctorate mm -hmm. um, and go on to be a professor or consultant or whatever you do. Uh, but we was an accelerated program, so three years. And so wow. uh, my first year, right. So it was around the clock, summer school, teaching. <laughs> it was a lot. And so after my first year, I thought I had an idea about where I wanted my dissertation to go. Um, but um, an opportunity with one of my outside committee members changed my trajectory into where we are today. So basically, um, after meeting with him and his class, um, he had a guest speaker in there. And it was a person who was like the diversity outreach manager for a major league baseball team. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation after that. And he told me, oh, we're having this problem trying to, you know, put our information about health initiatives uh, into the communities. You know, we, we were on Twitter, we were on everything, but not a lot of people from the inner city are even paying attention to what we're doing. Maybe you could help us. And so that conversation led to a larger conversation uh, to the point to where my dissertation turned into working with Major League Baseball um, on their social responsibility initiatives um, and basically how they are trying to build and uh, not, and the fact that they don't have a relationship with the Black community that well, both on the field and, and, and by fans. And so what Major League Baseball thought that they could do is that Oh, if we just, you know, put out all of these um, like health screening initiatives and uh, Jackie Robinson Day um, that, you know, it'll bring people in. And I say, well, you got to measure this stuff. You can't just throw it out there. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that work ended up being a series of studies that I'm working on, which the second study um, is now taking a look at what does the African-American community think about Major League Baseball? And that's being presented um, at one of my disciplines conferences uh, this May in Toronto. Um, but all of the other work beyond that, um, you know, I've had uh, work published in uh, research journals for special topics about social justice and communication. Um, and all of the research actually that I've done um, over the years, along with some of the more popular press articles that I've written, um, has helped me uh, gain a lot of uh, consulting opportunities with several sport organizations um, on their initiatives, um, you know, whether it's trying to build a, a DEI plan or whether it's an organization that's saying, uh, well, we want to be better for the community, you know, how can we build out a plan to do that? You know, um, the work has been, again, highly regarded in academia, but it's also transcended that as well. And so I, that's actually the purpose of the work that I do is called Engage Scholarship, where you take the high theory and you break it down in a practical manner mm. um, because I want the work to be able to help society in some form and not just stay in an academic journal, if that makes sense. Yeah, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. I mean, academia itself is so fraught. Um, yes with with so much institutional racism and so I love that you are you've not your work hasn't just been accepted in in your area of expertise but that mm -hmm. it's being translated into I mean you it's like the perfect 
the perfect conduit, you know, the perfect, yeah. the perfect way to get this all out there and, and really leading to, to uh, change. Um, how do you deal with, uh, how do you deal with like when you're going in and consulting with people who mm -hmm. are like kind of naysaying, how, what, what's your approach to that? Oh, that's the, that's a great question. The inevitable naysayers, right? Oh, <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing. Um, Typically, you know, I try to have a deep and thorough understanding of what it is that I'm doing before I go in. So, so like, for example, if I'm consulting with a specific organization, I have a list of questions. Uh, okay, what is this? What does this mean? What, you know, what are you trying to do here? And it's not to be insulting, but to really understand what it is that they're trying to do. Because in the sport world, and, and, and even outside of sports, when it when it comes to wanting to do things like change management, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of organizations already think that they have the plan <laughs> or, um, you know, they, they feel like, oh, okay, well, we want to do X, Y, and Z. We just need you to give the stamp of, of approval. And so, um, I always understand that, you know, I'm never going to go in and, and give the stamp of approval over something that I haven't even had a chance to, to read. And that rubs some of these organizations the wrong way, you know? And, and so some of them will be like, well, we decided to go in another direction. You know, we really like what you do, blah, blah, blah. So I just understand that that just means you really don't want to change. You just want the PR, right? And so, um, I'm more so the type of person that's like, okay, well, I'm not going to beg for you. you. You know, you reached out to me. Um, you know, if you want to come back to me, we, we have to have a better discussion. But otherwise, you know, if there are people who are willing to um, take this needs assessment and SWOT analysis and, and, and say that, okay, yeah, we need to change these crucial areas, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's just white noise. Right. Literally. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, you, you just, it sounds like just like not just staying in your integrity, but staying in your integrity and, and yeah. knowing what you stand for and they can either rise up to where you are and, and go along with your, you know, your expertise and your advice, or they can stay where they are, but not yeah. checking the boxes in an option. Yeah, for sure. How does the financial, how do you see all the money in, in professional sports playing into this? Because I can see it both ways. I mean, LeBron James and his activism, he's that's like so much money and so much clout. And then I can also see it in the other direction in terms of the league and, and sponsors and all of that. So how, how do you see it? And, and maybe also like talking a little bit about sponsorship as well, how you see that all uh swirling around in in the sport justice movement and how it interacts yeah so i, I always look at, at things uh, when it comes to any type of organization uh society i will say that as society goes so will that organization you know um prior to the civil rights era you know organizations could do essentially what they wanted to do uh without penalty without the court of public opinion um, but 
the civil rights era not only brought about, um, you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you know, the Voting Rights Act, all that stuff, and, and tried to quell discrimination, but the Civil Rights Movement was also a movement where people began to challenge organizations. You know, they began to challenge uh, the U.S. government about war. Uh, they challenged all of these organizations about, um, you know, all types of labor situations. Uh, the, the, the last fight that Martin Luther King had was about uh, a labor issue, you know? Um, and so when we think about <clears throat> where we are today, uh, when it comes to uh, those particular issues, the, the, the thing is, when these companies say, that they want to, I want to do better. You know, society now says, okay, we're going to hold you to it. Because if you don't, you're going to lose <laughs> out on my customer loyalty, which then in turn makes me uh, lose out on funds. And no organization wants to do that, right? And so, again, when Kaepernick, uh, when the when other high-profile athletes uh, began to get the international stage, uh, the NFL was trying its hardest to, you know, quell that and and put that under wraps and say, oh, we 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 support our athletes, but we also support our country. And then after the Kaepernick thing got so big, the NFL had to come back and say, you know, we were wrong. And we shouldn't have done that. I'm like, okay, that, that that's fine. But what are you doing about this? Yeah. And so that's why we saw them create the Inspire Change Initiative and 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 all of that. And you know, it's pushing these organizations now to follow society's lead as society is saying no more um, with prejudice, discrimination, labor issues, pay inequity, and all of that. And so um, you, you almost can't uh, just not do anything at this point as a sport organization. You, you, you have to at least speak on the topics nowadays because society won't let you slide. Yeah. I'm really glad that that part of society is what is getting through yeah because there's also a lot of society obviously as we know that is like pulling away from any mm -hmm. progress like legislating against progress um, yes. more and more now um i wonder i'm just thinking about like florida politics you know like yeah. florida, florida's governor and like do they love him more or do they love football more you know like yeah. gator fans i just because i know football is so big and yeah. you know it's everywhere, but I'm just thinking about like, like what, where is the tipping point? And I think that's one of the things that's so great about social uh, sport justice is it's like, yeah. a, it's a popular culture level of respect and, and familiarity that people can relate to more. Yeah. Um, tell me more about the Inspire Change Initiative. I, I don't follow football at all. So <laughs> I actually yeah. haven't heard much about that. So the Aspire Change Initiative came um, a year or so after the whole um, initial Colin Kaepernick um, sitting and then taking the knee, um, where um, many players at that point were saying, okay, 
um, NFL, uh, you can't stop this conversation about police brutality. You need to do something about uh, the issues that black and brown people face um, because you donate to other causes and other initiatives, but you don't have anything specific to what we're talking about today, not national and, and really global conversation. And so um, the Players Coalition was formed um, and it was led by uh, former NFL players, Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins. Um, and they essentially, they necessarily didn't partner with Kaepernick at the time because again, he was still out of the league while they uh, were still trying to lead things there. But they, along with other players, um, basically went to Roger Goodell and said, you need to put the money where your mouth is. And so then the NFL subsequently came out with this claim that they will donate $90 million to social justice causes. Mm -hmm. And so they called it then the Inspire Change Initiative. And so what essentially the movement is, is that they give out the funds through grants. And so a representative, an athlete representative from each team um, can find a certain social justice initiative that they're concerned with, and and the NFL will match uh, that initiative with funds as long as they that athlete can find a nonprofit organization to work with, and so that's essentially how they did it. And so so nonprofits can apply for I think anywhere between $5,000 to $10,000 to help with the social justice cause and the NFL would, would send out that money through that. And so um, it also, <laughs> it's like, it, it's it's sort of an everything type of change where they were trying to tackle the, the, the issues in communities and they were trying to tackle DEI. And so that's why you see, for example, the NFL halftime show is featuring more um, artists from minority backgrounds because this initiative is something that's supposed to bring about a plethora of changes. And so it's 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 been hit or miss since they created it a few years ago, but um, that's the premise of that movement. Okay. I have heard of the Players Coalition and I think I yeah. follow Malcolm Jenkins on mm -hmm. some sort of social media. Um, I think Instagram. So you feel like it's been kind of hit or miss. I guess there's going to be pitfalls to big organizations. How, how are you, how are you seeing? Cause I feel like this is a pretty big example of yeah. a big win. Um, yeah. Yet if it's being um, administ administered by a huge organization, a yeah. organization that is fraught, uh, Right. And then there's going to be some issues. So what are you, what are you seeing? Like, what are some areas for growth? Or what's it doing? Well, you know, it's the, it, yeah, it's the evaluation process, right? It's it's when an, a large organization donates funds to a certain project, you know, that's big news. So let's say the NFL uh, wants to donate a million dollars to um uh, uh, a young, uh, a nonprofit organization that focuses on uh, young girls who want to get into the STEM field, something like that, right? Or who want to code. Okay, that 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 would be an excellent PR, you know, 
<laughs> initiatives to put out there. But beyond that, how has it helped over time? You know, how can you evaluate that and assess that? And then if there are critical errors, you know, with the implementation of these initiatives, then how can we go and uh, make those right? How can we revise and re-administer the initiative? You know, those are the areas of growth because um, what I've learned in my studies with Major League Baseball and, and, and other things that I'm doing is that <clears throat> these leagues don't have a measurement of success. They, again, it's like, how you see a toddler throwing spaghetti up against the wall and you just see some of it stick and some of it fall to the ground. And that's the issue that we're seeing across all of these platforms. You know, they're reactionary because they never had a, a something set in place regarding these social issues anyway. And so it's like they're just scrambling with yeah. no type of order. And that's what we need going forward. Yeah. Um I hope that they're engaging with you to get yeah. that order. And if they're not, <clears throat> if they're not, they should. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how do you even know beyond even just rec correcting the errors? How do you even recognize them? How do you even know that they're happening? You know, like how do, how do you yeah. recognize them if there's, if it's all so scattered and, right. uh, and, and as you said, the react reactive, um, that's such a good point. Um, is there anything else that you want to share? I mean, this is such an, an incredible topic. I am less of a sports person. So I yeah. like, feel like there's questions that I should be asking you that I'm not, because I'm not a sports person, but, um, what else, what else do you feel like my audience and the world should know? You know, here's the thing too. I, 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 we talk about how, you know, athletes are more than just entertainment, right? Yeah. I, I take a look at, for example, uh, the, this past um, Olympics, um, where um, where we had the COVID Olympics basically because we, we couldn't uh, do the games because of what went on, but we had um, Simone Biles, who we all know is is you know top gymnast in the world basically, um, you know engaged in her sport in the Olympics, <clears throat> but then, you know, she had a, a, a small breakdown where she couldn't compete anymore. And so that brought about a larger conversation on, on athletes and mental health, right? Because um, she came out, others came out to defend her, um, saying that, you know, athletes are human. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, they are elite in their profession, uh, particularly those who are at the top of their, his or her game. Um, but at the end of the day, they have families to go back to. They have lives to live outside of the entertainment realm. And it, it was interesting because there were so many people who praised her for saying, I needed to take a mental health break. But then there were all those people who say, well, we paid money to see you on this stage. <laughs> and so, again, it brings about this larger conversation on how are we seeing 
these people who, yes, are on TV constantly. And yes, we want to see them compete. We, you know, we're in the NFL playoff season right now. We want to see them compete, but when they get injured or, you know, something happens to a family member, they have to step aside. And so, you know, that's why I think so many athletes today um, suffer with a lot of mental health issues because there's so much they have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, again, take NBA, WNBA players, where anybody who is sitting on the the um, front court seats, you know, uh, court side seats, I should say, can yell out a racial slur to a player and that player can't engage. Right. You know, or or somebody, there's this book um, by Bill Roden called The $40 Million Slave. Mm. And he said that he gave that book that title because he was at a New York Knicks game and a player at the time, Larry Johnson, um, was on the court, you know, just talking trash. You know how players talk trash on the court. And then a fan um, yelled at him and said, hey, you need to sit down and play this game. You're nothing but a $40 million slave anyway. So you can imagine, yeah, you're making all of this money, but people talking to you in this way. So it's a lot that they have to contend with. And I think for your audience and, and the work that you talk about, um, you know, it's important and imperative that we begin to see um, these athletes as, Again, not just our entertainment uh, where we can buy these uh, season ticket passes and, and that's all we see them as. But again, they, they have families, they have feelings. They, they're, they're talking about this a lot. The, the NBA just hired a, a, a mental health expert for players. You know, um, a lot of um, college, uh, college sports teams, a lot of pro teams are doing a lot of mindfulness work. You know, because they they need it. Yeah. And so I I see the sport justice movement again, um, not only talking about the, those big time issues of, of prejudice and discrimination, but now recognizing these 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 people as humans, recognizing the, the mental health needs that they have, and again, where do we take it from here? Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So, how can people? work with you how can I, I don't know if you consult just for like really large organizations but is your book how is your book available and I guess the other one's coming out next year so we don't we're not quite ready for that one but yeah people, are you on social media how can people follow you yeah so um people can follow me on twitter at sean mark speaks uh that's s-h-a-u-n-m-a-r-q speaks s-p-e-a-k-s um the same on instagram sean mark speaks um, my website is www.seanmarkanderson.com. That's S-H-A-U-N-M-A-R-Q-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. Um, you can find the link to my book there or uh, anywhere where books are sold. Uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, IndieBound, um, pretty much wherever you can find a book, it's, it's available there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you um, so much for, for bringing your expertise and perspective and um, vision really to, to something that has 
impact at all levels of society. And I think that that isn't necessarily is, is becoming more recognized. I will say that. Um, and, um, again, thank you so much. This, your work is incredible and, uh, I can't wait to, uh, follow you on all the social medias <laughs> and because uh, it's about so much more even for people like me who I'm not a huge sports person it's it's about so much more than that so um, yeah I'm looking forward to reading it and thank you again oh thank you for having me hi there thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode of conscious anti-racism Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts, and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D, and please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.